You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. That's where we're going to be this morning, 1 John 3, uh, 4 through 10. Uh, We're continuing our series through the letters of John, of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which brings us to this passage this morning. Um, I'm going to read our text, and then we're going to pray and jump in for the sake of time. Again, 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. It says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared, or Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who do not does not love his brother. Pray with me and we'll jump in. Lord, we Thank you again for the opportunity to gather together and worship you as your people. Lord, help us to do exactly that, to make this time about you, about hearing from you in your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have to say this morning, to be convicted where we need to be convicted, encouraged where we need to be encouraged, and ultimately to remember and be reminded that our one and only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, of of salvation by grace through faith in Christ and his perfect life and sacrificial death on our behalf, that through faith in him, we are reconciled to you. Lord, help us to remember that um, and to live accordingly this morning, to worship together this morning accordingly and with the rest of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's jump into our text. Starting in verse 4. John says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Here, John returns to the point that he made in chapter 2, verse 29, where he said, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He's returning to that point to make the point here uh, in our, our passage this morning that those who make a practice of sinning meaning those who persist in habitual, unrepentant sin, where sin, rather than repentance and righteousness and living for Christ, is the ruling principle of their life. That's what John means by uh, makes a practice of sinning. Those are not true believers. That's John's overall point this morning. He is making this point because this was true of the false teachers that John was writing about in in 1 John. They were living uh, lives of habitual, unrepentant sin, totally given over to it, claiming that they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies and that it didn't matter, and yet claiming to have this enlightened relationship with God that they were trying to sell John's readers on, right? Right? 
So John, in our passage this morning, is saying, these people aren't even Christians. <laughs> That's what he's driving at this morning. These people aren't even Christians, so they don't know God. They don't have a reconciled relationship with God through faith in Jesus, which is the only way we can have a reconciled relationship with God. Amen? Right? So don't buy what they're selling. That's what John is driving at this morning. John here is exposing the scam of what these false teachers are peddling. He's in essence, to give you a picture, he's basically saying, don't buy that blender. The dude's missing a hand. Like that, this is not, <laughs> this is not a good deal, okay? Don't buy into what they're selling. This is a scam, right? He starts by saying, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, John is here highlighting that sin is ultimately a rejection of God's law. It's ultimately what sin is, a rejection of God's law. It's rebellion. Sin is saying, uh, God, I know better. I know better than you do, so I'm rejecting your law and in turn you for favor of this idol. That's what sin is. Amen? Does that make sense? So when someone makes a practice of sinning, when they persist in habitual, unrepentant sin, they're making a practice of rebelling against God, of rejecting his law, and in turn of rejecting him. That's what it looks like to, to make a practice of sinning. They're, they're making a lifestyle or a spiritual career, if you will, out of rebellion, out of rejecting God and his law. So the question is, and this is what John is driving at, how can this person who lives to reject God and his law, who doesn't struggle with sin, but instead makes it their aim, lives for and in pursuit of sin, totally giving themselves over to it, how can this person claim to love God? They may claim to, but John's point is they don't. They don't. They may try to claim that they do, but they don't, or they would live differently. They would make it their aim. They would make the ruling principle of their life to try to honor and glorify God and not reject him. Amen? Does that make sense? And we all fall short, but that would be their aim and that would show up in how they live. Right? That's the idea here. To give you a picture, it's akin to if I said that I love my wife, but instead of pursuing her, albeit imperfectly, I made a practice of rejecting her. I made that my aim. I made that the ruling principle of our marriage is that I reject my wife. Right? Well, then I don't love her as I'm claiming that I do. Amen? Does that make sense? Because if I did, I would live differently. And it's the same idea here, right? Verse five and six, John goes on. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this language of keeps on sinning here is the same idea as makes a practice of sinning in verse four. It's, it's the same concept, meaning living and persisting in habitual, unrepentant sin, totally giving ourselves over to it, making, continuing uh, in and pursuing sin rather than God, the ruling principle in our lives. That's this idea of keeps on sinning. It's the same as makes a practice of sinning, same concept. Here, John is saying, 
that this is totally incompatible with the Christian faith. Because, here's what John highlights, of, of our Savior Jesus' relationship with sin. This is what makes this totally incompatible with the Christian faith. Here's what I mean. Two, two things that John highlights here. Number one, the reason for Christ's first coming was to live a perfect life in our place and die a sacrificial death in our place that we'd be freed from the penalty, the power, and one day even the presence of sin through faith in Jesus, right? That was the reason for his first coming, right? That we'd be f forgiven of our sins, that we'd be freed from slavery to sin, and one day freed from even the presence of sin when Christ returns all through faith in Jesus, amen? Wasn't that the reason Christ came? The reason for his first coming, right? I believe this is what John means when he says, you know that he, he being Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, that we'd be forgiven, freed from sin's bondage, and one day freed from sin's, sin's presence when he returns. This is the first thing that makes making a practice of sinning incompatible with the Christian faith. It's because of our Savior, who we're claiming to love and follow, his relationship with sin, he came that we'd be forgiven of it, right? That we'd be freed from it, from the penalty of it, right? The, the, the slavery to it, and one day even the presence of it when he returns, right? The, the second reason of making a practice of sinning is incompatible with the Christian faith is uh, here highlighting Christ's relationship with sin. Christ himself is without sin, right? He's without sin. As John, John says in, in verse five, the second part, in him, him being Christ, there is no sin, right? In, in other words, he is perfectly righteous. Jesus is perfectly righteous and totally without sin. Another way to put this would be he loves righteousness and hates wickedness, as it says in, in Hebrews 1.9. And as his people, we're to be imitators of Christ, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, right? Though we fall woefully short, our aim as Christians, as little Christs, should be still to be like Jesus. Though we fall short, that should be our aim, right? To be imitators of Christ, albeit imperfectly. This is why John says in verse six, no one who abides, no one who continues, remains in him, him being Christ, by faith, right? I, in other words, no Christian, because true faith is enduring faith. Those who have true saving faith in Christ endure to the end, as we've talked about many times in this series. So no one who abides in Christ, uh, in other words, uh, no Christian, true Christian keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, right? In other words, no true believer, no Christian keeps living a life given over to habitual, unrepentant sin because they know their Savior died to save and redeem them from sin, so why would they want to continue in it? Do you see that? That's the argument John is laying out. Right? Their, their new desire as new creations in Christ is to be like their Savior, not continue in the sin for which he died. Amen? This is why John says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Because God opening our eyes to see who Jesus really is and, and coming to know him by faith changes our relationship with sin from something uh, to be pursued, from, from something we think is to be pursued to something we know is to be repented of, right? 
albeit imperfectly, but for the Christian, that's our new aim. Because seeing and knowing Christ has changed our relationship with sin to mirror his relationship with sin. In other words, hating sin and loving righteousness, albeit imperfectly. Does that make sense? So to give you uh, an illustration, Christians are like a distorted mirror that imperfectly reflect Christ's heart towards sin. In other words, hating sin and loving righteousness, right? And, and with that analogy, if there's no reflection at all, not even an imperfect one, right, which would be true of those who make a practice of sinning, that person is not a Christian. That's the idea. And in fact, uh, using that analogy, I think you're a vampire, actually, um, because you don't have a reflection. Anyway, let's move on. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Verse 7 and 8. It's silly, but it made me laugh. Um, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, the only ones who are truly righteous before God in Christ are those who make a practice of righteousness as a ruling principle of their lives. They pursue and live for Christ and his glory and not sin, albeit imperfectly, and so prove to be true disciples. So prove that their faith in Christ is genuine. This is, just to rephrase it, this is John's way of saying with James that faith apart from works is dead. This is really what John is driving at here. In other words, faith apart from works is not true faith. Why? Well, because as we've talked about many times as a church, true faith bears fruit, right? Just does. So if somebody claims to have true faith but bears no fruit, no, they don't, right? Because true faith bears fruit, right? That's the idea here. And, and, and in this case, John is highlighting that fruit being the practice of righteousness. So only those whose faith bears the fruit of the practice of righteousness have been declared righteous as Christ is righteous before God because they alone have true saving faith. Do you see the argument? It's another way of saying only true believers will be saved, so proven to be by their practice of righteousness and not sin, right? That's showing that they have true, genuine faith and it's not just a claim. Amen? Does that make sense? That's the idea. So, and that makes sense. If you just boil it down to John is really just saying only true believers that are so proven to be by their practice of righteousness and not sin will be saved, that, that makes mathematical sense. That's really the point that he's driving at. And it is they, those who make a practice of righteousness alone, who are truly, as our text says, righteous as he is righteous. Both positionally, as we stand before God through faith in Christ, right? Their faith proven to be genuine by their practice of righteousness, and so they're saved, right? Because they have true saving faith in Christ. And in practice, as they reflect the righteousness of Christ, albeit imperfectly, insofar as they imitate him. Though obviously as sinners, we still fall woefully short, right? In other words, works don't produce salvation Right? We're, we're saved not by our works, but by grace alone. It's completely undeserved through faith in Christ alone and his finished works on our behalf, not by our works. Amen? Right? So works don't produce salvation, but salvation does produce works. Again, as we've talked about many times, true faith bears fruit. 
right? It does. And that's the idea here. So here, I think it, what's being highlighted, part, part of what that looks like is a true faith bearing fruit would be a likeness to Christ, a Christ-likeness in the lives of his people, a reflecting of his character, albeit imperfectly. Does that make sense? Right, I think that's the idea here. This verse also makes sense uh, in light of the fact that only true believers can truly practice righteousness, especially when we bear in mind things like Romans 14, 23, which says, uh, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So again, if we boil it down, only true believers, so proven to be by their practice of righteousness and not sin, will be saved and live lives reflecting the righteousness of Christ, albeit imperfectly. Does that make sense? That, that's kind of the idea John's driving at. Now, the flip side of this we see in verse eight, which says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Meaning those who make a practice of sinning show themselves to be like Satan who has been sinning from the beginning rather than like Jesus, who came to destroy the works of the devil. They therefore can't truthfully claim to know Christ because if they did, they would be like him. They would reflect his character in the way that they live, albeit imperfectly, right? They'd be that imperfect reflection we were talking about, right? As his people, right? They, they would reflect his character, albeit imperfectly, which would show up in them practicing righteousness rather than making a practice of sin. As Curtis Vaughn in his commentary in 1 John puts it, I, I think this is helpful, he says this, only those who are believers in Jesus Christ are truly the children of God. All others, John would say, are the children of the devil. The practice of sin shows that one has a moral affinity, in other words, resemblance, likeness with the devil. For sin is his characteristic activity. The devil sinneth from the beginning. The thought appears to be this, just as the practice of righteousness is the proof that one is born of a God who is righteous, so the practice of sin is proof that one's spiritual parentage is in a being who is evil. I think that's a good summary of what's going on here. Meaning, if you make a practice of sinning, you don't belong to God's family. You belong to the devil's. That's what John is driving at. And that's showing up in how you live. To give you an illustration, like father, like son. That's what John is driving at here. On the devil has been sinning from the beginning, Vaughn goes on to say, just on, on what exactly does that mean? He says that the tense of the verb is present, suggesting that the devil's whole existence is sin. He was the first to sin and he has never ceased to sin. I think that's probably right as to what John's driving at with that line of the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verses nine and 10 says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, here's the million dollar question in uh, verse nine that I spent much of my week on. Uh, here's the question. Uh, what exactly is meant by God's seed here? 
What does John mean by that? What exactly is meant by God's seed here? There are a number of different views on this passage. Um, Some think it's referring to God's word, uh, the gospel in particular. Others think it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Others think it's describing the believer's new heart or new nature. There's there's even more than that. Those are just a few of the varying takes on what what John means by God's seed. Personally, I'll throw my hat into the ring. I tend to think it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The idea being that the same Holy Spirit who caused the believer to be born again now dwells within them, producing more and more spiritual growth by the day and making it impossible for the believer to persist in habitual unrepentant sin. That's that's my personal take on what I think he's driving at here. But whatever the case, here's here's the point, (laughs) whatever the case may be of exactly what John's getting at with God's seed here. The point of verse nine is that God has caused the believer to be born again or they wouldn't believe, right? We've talked about this many times as a church. They couldn't believe, right? We, we can't believe uh, apart from God causing us to be born again, giving us spiritual sight, amen, right? So God has caused the believer to be born again, or they wouldn't believe, and this new birth, this new spiritual life makes it impossible for the believer to continue in habitual unrepentant sin. I think that's overall the point of verse nine, right? This new birth that the believer definitely has, this new life the believer definitely has, they definitely have been born again or they wouldn't be a believer, makes it impossible for the believer to continue in habitual unrepentant sin. To quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, there's no undoing the new creation and returning to a life of habitual unrepentant sin once we've been made new as all who belong to Christ have been. Does that make sense? To give you a picture, we can't undo our spiritual birth, our God having caused us to be born again any more than we can undo our physical birth. I can't unborn myself, right? I, I know that's plain and obvious, but, but I think that's, that's the idea here. You, you just can't. I can't unborn myself, and, and it's a done deal. There's no going back, and the same thing is true of our new birth for all who have faith in Christ. We've been born again. We're new creations in Christ. That can't be undone, amen? Does that make sense? New creations in Christ can't go back as a result of this, to their old way of life. To their, where they, where they used to live for themselves in habitual unrepentant sin. They can't go back to that as believers because they've been born again. They're now new creations in Christ, right? This is why John says what he does in verse 10. He says, by this it is evidence who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In other words, we can tell who the true believers are and who the true believers aren't by who is still living a life given over to habitual unrepentant sin. Again, we're not talking about struggling with sin. We're talking, there is no struggle. (laughs) You're living for it. You're living in it. You're persisting in it. There's no repentance to be found, right? Right, we can tell who the true believers are and who the true believers aren't by who is still living a life given over to habitual unrepentant sin because true believers can't do that anymore. It's not possible for them. 
right? Much like we've used this analogy a bunch in the last few weeks, much like how the completely abandoned the faith feature doesn't come on the true believer model. You know, we talked about that a lot. That's just not possible for the believer. Okay, in the same way, the live in habitual unrepentant sin feature also doesn't come on the true believer model. That's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing a true believer who God has caused to be born again or they wouldn't be a believer can do, right? It's just not possible. It doesn't come on the true believer model. It's not possible for them because their new birth and the Holy Spirit at work within them won't let them return to that way of life, of just fully given over to sin. That's their aim, that's their pursuit, rather than glorifying Christ, right? Being their aim, and yes, we fall short of that, but that's still our aim, as new creations in Christ. Right, to, to give you a picture, once you see the truth of the gospel, you can't unsee it. <laughs> Right? Once you see the truth of the gospel, you can't unsee it and go back to living the lifestyle of a blind man. That's the idea. You, you just can't. God won't let you. It's not a thing a true believer can do. And so I, I want us to take a minute and take comfort in that truth. <laughs> There's great gospel encouragement there. Take comfort in this truth that, that if you're truly his, God won't let you go back to your old way of life, of making a practice of sinning. God won't let you do that if you're truly his. As Christians, we still struggle with sin. Amen? Yes and amen? Right? As Christians, we still struggle with sin, but God has opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel such that we can't go back to living the lifestyle of a blind man. Totally given over to it. As those who were blind, but now we see, the pro of the prospect of completely abandoning the faith and, and going back, completely to our old way of life, we, we would say with the apostles, uh, as it says in John 6, 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else am I gonna go? Right? Can't go anywhere. I, I can't unsee what I've seen. Can't unknow what I know to be the truth of the gospel. Take comfort in this truth. That for the Christian, as we've talked about many times, we won't abandon God. Why? Because God won't abandon us. In other words, he won't let us abandon him for those who are truly his. Amen? Then John ends here with a specific example of how we can tell who the true believers are. A specific example of something that would fall into the category of making a practice of righteousness. And that is loving our brothers. That's what he ends with in verse 10. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. But we're gonna leave it there for now. More on loving our brothers next week. But he ends with that specific example. That's gonna try and transition into next week's passage. So we'll hold off. I don't wanna steal my own, own thunder for next week. So if you're taking notes, here's kind of the summary of this passage and our main point for this morning. It's this. True believers make a practice of righteousness and not sin. True believers make a practice of righteousness and not sin. The ruling principle of their lives is to live for Christ and his glory and not for sin because God has caused them to be born again and they can't go back. They can't be unspiritually born, right? any more than we can unphysically born ourselves, right? They can't go back. Again, to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
the true believer makes a practice of righteousness and not sin because they once were lost, but now are found, were blind, but now they see, and they can't go back to their old, spiritually dead way of life. Why? Because God won't let them. God won't let them. So again, true believers make a practice of righteousness and not sin. So, how do we respond to this text? Well, there, there are three things I just want to leave you guys with as we close of ways that I think we can respond to this well. Number one, examine yourself and ask, which better describes me? One who practices righteousness, that's your aim, and living for Christ is the ruling principle of your life, or one who makes a practice of sinning, who persists in habitual, unrepentant sin, and that's the ruling principle of your life, which better describes you. In other words, I know this is silly, but it's just kind of a phrase that helps us understand this concept. Who's your daddy? That's that's kind of the question. (laughs) Who's your daddy? Who are you more like? God? His heart, his character, albeit imperfectly, we're still sinners, or the devil? Who are you more like? That's the question. If the devil take this as the warning that it is, right, if you stay there, you are destined for wrath, you're destined for hell, for judgment. If the devil take this as the warning that it is and repent and put true saving faith in Christ while there's still time. A faith church, as John drives at here, that will show itself to be genuine in your practicing of righteousness rather than making a practice of sinning because true faith bears fruit. Amen? That's the first thing we should do. Examine yourself, ask which better describes it. Who am I more like, God or the devil? Secondly, don't be fooled and led astray by those who claim to be Christians but make a practice of sinning. Say that again. Don't be fooled and led astray by those who claim to be Christians but make a practice of sinning. Frankly, church, it feels like every couple of years, sometimes even more frequently as of late, I feel like the the cycle's shortened, right? Some Christian celebrity will go off the deep end and, and totally abandon the faith and so prove that they never were. Right? Or some new book will come out essentially claiming what the false teachers John is addressing in 1 John were claiming, that, that you can sin it up and you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter and you can still call yourself a Christian. It feels like that just constantly. There's somebody else trying to push that nonsense and it's, it's a scam, right? Here we see that that's not true. It's just, it's just not true. We see the truth over and over again in this passage that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's the truth. Amen? So don't be fooled by these people. (laughs) Or as John says, little children, let no one deceive you. That's what he says in verse 7. Instead, continue to practice righteousness and so prove to be true disciples. Don't join them 
in making a practice of sinning and so prove like them that you never were. Amen? So secondly, don't be fooled and led astray by those who claim to be Christians but make a practice of sinning. Thirdly and lastly, let's hold one another to this standard. Let's hold one another to this standard that true believers make a practice of righteousness and not sin. Let's hold one another to that standard both with one another inside the church and as we preach the gospel out in the world, right? Because this church is the standard we will be held to when we stand before the judgment of God. That by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So to put it bluntly, better to have an awkward conversation now than to be unprepared to stand before the judgment of God later. Amen? That's true both for you and for your neighbors both inside and outside of the church. So church, let's live accordingly. Let's hold one another to this standard accordingly. Again, true believers make a practice of righteousness and not sin. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that true faith bears fruit, that true faith bears the fruit of the practice of righteousness and not the practice of sin. Lord, help us to remember that and to live accordingly and so prove to be true disciples. We thank you that we are saved and forgiven, not by our works. Praise God. Lord, praise you for that, but by the finished works of Christ on our behalf. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, help us to remember that, that we have no righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, that alone is the righteousness that we possess that declares us righteous, makes us righteous as we stand before you. Lord, help us to remember that. Give us boldness to preach the gospel to those around us who desperately need to hear it, to not pull any punches and to, to point out that the true believers practice righteousness and not sin. Lord, help us to speak that truth in love that all those that don't yet know Christ would, would, would look to Christ by faith and be saved and prepared to stand before you, Lord, in judgment. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.